Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Inside F1 with Joe Saywood on Missed Apex Podcast. I'm your host, Richard Spanners Ready, here on Missed Apex. We love to bring you a revolving panel of experts and fan voices from every corner of the F1 media. But today, returning to the shed is a regular from seasons past. He is the most experienced F1 journalist you're going to hear on any podcast. So sit down, gather around the tree and pin your ears back as we get stoic and informed information from Joe Saywood. Good afternoon, Joe. Hello. How are you doing? I'm doing good. How was? How did you enjoy the last ever Monaco Grand Prix, Joe? Uh, it was very nice. It was. Um, it's. A, it's an agreeable place to be if there wasn't a motor race there. Um, and uh, it's. It's. It's a nice place because I always have a bit of a holiday there. So um, if there isn't one next year, it's a bit of a bore. But. Having said that, I think they need to wake up to the fact that they need to make changes. Um, and it may be something to do with the man who's been in charge of the automobile club for 50 years, um, who may not necessarily be on the cutting edge of um, latest thinking. And, and who's this person that you're describing, Joe? His name is Michel Boeri. And he has been, literally, he has been the president of the Automobile Club of Monaco since 1972, which right. last time I did maths was 50 years ago. Ah, okay. So, but you can't blame him in a way because he would have presided over Monaco being like a real spectacle and a crown jewel in F1. And the recent murmurings against it are, are relatively recent. Uh, not really. No, it's been going on for years. Um, the thing is that they haven't negotiated a new deal at Monaco since I think it was 2010 uh, when they did the most recent deal that lasted. And it was supposed to finish in 21, but because they missed. 20 uh sorry it was supposed to end in 20 but because they missed uh 20 because of the pandemic it ended in 21 um and then they negotiated 22 as a one-off deal which is why there was no thursday ah i see because we were always led to believe that you couldn't possibly have practice on a friday at monaco well it was a sort of stopgap deal where they sort of went look we're not going to agree on this let's just have a race (laughs) this year to make sure we have one uh, and then go on arguing afterwards. But the fact is, there's, there's, it's not just about money. It's about everything. The TV coverage was rubbish. I don't know if you watched it on television. <sighs> you obviously weren't there because otherwise you'd have, you would have made a big fuss about I it. I would have done, yeah. Um, but the TV coverage, they missed an awful lot of stuff because they're not regular TV crew. Mm. It's, the, it's the radio, Mon- uh, Tele Monte Carlo, rather, who do it. And th- why would they be better than Formula One? They do one show a year, or in this particular case, one show every two years. 
Yeah, and there was certainly there was a, a lot of action missed, and I think there was complaints that they didn't really tell the story of the race. I think that's true, but it's not just that. It, that's part of it. Part of the fact is you can't overtake, and apparently mm. they're not willing to make any discussions about making an overtaking manoeuvre. Part of it's to do with the trackside signage. Part of it's to do with the hospitality uh, on offer. And basically everything's out of date, including the fee they pay. Okay. And, yeah. and, I, and basically their view is, or rather the Automobile Club of Monaco's view, is that, well, we're Monaco and you can go stuff yourself if you don't like it. And what they don't seem to understand is that Formula One may well just turn around and say, okay. <laughs> now, is it is it because it's more of like a more of a buyer's market now that they've got the, sh- the new shinies, Singapore and Miami? You know, maybe Monaco doesn't wield yeah, that yeah, same. Yeah, for sure, that's uh, part of it. But but the, the 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 truth of the matter is, it's not that we don't want to be there. We do want to be there. It's obvious you want to be there because it's it's the it, it's the most glamorous race there is in theory. But they just want to get the whole thing up to date and to be, you know, talking in real terms and real money and real everything because there's so much money left on the table. If you look at the if you look at the TV coverage of Monaco, how many times did you see the words Casino de Monaco or de Monte Carlo or uh, Monaco Grand Prix, seventy five years old? All that is sponsorship that, or rather, that's advertising space that hasn't been sold um, because um, it's basically owned uh, owned by the not by the automobile club, but it's owned by the the uh, uh, Société Band Mer, which is the main the main yeah. operating company of all the hotels. <laughs> so in that's Monaco. the default. So, when you see that hoarding, that's like the default hoarding. Yeah, it's basically it basically says mm. that they haven't got anything else. And the other thing they have is is a real problem between Tag Heuer, which is a Monaco sponsor, and Rolex, which is a Formula One sponsor. Um, and, you know, there were places on the track where you could actually see both signs at the same time. Right. Now, how does that work? It doesn't make any sense. So there's lots of problems, lots mm. of little problems. Um, and one of the problems is also the fact that Monaco just doesn't want to change because when you've been president for 50 years <laughs> of the Automobile Club, and he's also, you know, he's been a politician in Monaco as well. So uh, I think he's been president of the Prince's Council, which is about like being prime minister, really. So he's probably, you know, I don't know him. But he's he's uh, he's been around forever. Um, he doesn't mix with people like me. But, no, um, you know he is he is basically um, probably has ideas about what his station should be. Uh, when he took over the automobile club, the prince was fourteen years old. That tells you how long he's been around. So, um, mm. so you know, we I think there's necessary sort of shaking of the carpet or whatever the word is shaking of the tree and uh, some things need to fall out nope shaking of the carpet now that's um, that's <laughs> a, the new the mafia version of it <laughs> let's shake it shake the carpet i saw one track map where there was a suggestion they could come out of the out of the hairpin and uh, you know past the the perez dumping it in q3 corner and extend all the way out there on the coast and then that would make the tunnel and the Nouvelle chicane a bit more of an overtaking no, you, spot. You, you can't really, you can't really do that because that's where lots of people have expensive apartments, oh. including half the racing drivers, um, right. and they don't want to have a noisy bunch of cars going down their front lawn. Um, they they had the opportunity to do stuff with this bit of um, land reclamation they're building at the moment in the same area in Portier, but it's a it's a car free zone apart from the car parking space mm. underneath. So. I think the only thing they can really do is to do something around these, the swimming pool area. And yep. uh, if, you can, um, if you can speed up or slow down Tabak. Um, Which know, one's Tabak? Remind me. I don't have your insight. Tabak is, is the fast one, fast one before the swimming pool complex. Oh, okay. So leading in, in the final sector, basically, once you've come out of the tunnel and it's all the wiggly bits after that. Yeah, you, you go down from the chicane to that's tabac corner there named after the tobacconist's shop that used to be there okay and uh, maria has just said in our patron live chat hello maria has just said evolve or die and it, it could be that for monaco it is it, it's not really a question of evolve or die to be honest because formula one wants it to happen but they just want it to happen in a slightly different form and, and monaco is just being like a a big block and saying no to everything and that's not the way to do it so um they, they may have to get a slap for a year off um in order to you know come to the table with slightly more realistic views i think that's yeah. the, th- the thought process going on okay. and to be honest if you go back in the history of formula one you can see it happening elsewhere 
there were times when Spa missed a year. There were times when Canada missed a year because there were things that that was in the days of Ecclestone. Um, there were things that he wanted changing. They didn't want to change them. And so off you go and have a think about it. And they all came running back and changed everything. And I think Silverstone was a bit the same too. Remember, there was one year when they got dumped into April and the whole thing turned into a quagmire. Into a bog, um, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, and that was possibly the same thing. So, well, look, not possibly, in, it was in, the same. Thing. In in seasons gone by, because we've been doing this a, a long time, Joe. This is. Did you know this is your fifty sixth appearance on Mr. Apex podcast? How lucky we have I been. I had no idea. Yeah, but, um, I didn't. It doesn't surprise me. We should have popped a cork at, at fifty or something. Honestly, the first few episodes, you should have seen Joe just like looking at my general demeanor. He looked like he'd rather be anywhere else in the world, and that I was a a, a buffoon. You never said buffoon with your mouth. But your eyes screamed it. Wally is what your no, your fan base so. called me, Joe. But I think we've no, become. I don't think so. What you're doing is you're a sounding board. Ah, uh, I see. But we've become far, you know close personal friends now. We holiday together. We wine and Absolutely, dine together. Yeah, yeah. We send each other cakes on birthday parties. <laughs> and and one day he'll invite me to carry his bags to Monaco for a Monaco Grand Prix because the argument that we've had for years here about Monaco is me saying, look, I'm a TV viewer and it's awful and I just want it gone. For you, you've always said the magic is is being there and appreciating the driver challenge. After all these decades watching the Monaco Grand Prix, is the magic of it still there for you when you're on the ground? Yeah, if you're watching the drivers doing their thing, it is. But if you're working there, and that goes for everybody working there, uh, even I, I saw I saw uh, Greg Maffei, the chairman uh, and CEO of of uh, the whole Formula One business. In mm. fact. Um, the parent company, and he was struggling through the crowds and had Automobile Club of Monaco people telling him, you can't do this and you can't do that. Their, their security, I mean, they just need a slap from head to toe, a whole oh, lot of them. Wow. Um, and, and no, they do because they're, they, they're just arrogant and, they're, and, they, and they just they don't listen. I, I, a number of times I tell Automobile Club of Monaco people to get lost because it's none of their damn business where I stand. I'm allowed to stand here and stop hassling me. Um, you know, but they... I was talking at one point, I, actually, in the course of the weekend, I was told to move on by the Automobile Club of Monaco while talking to Damon Hill, Jacques Villeneuve and Peter Bayer, the head of the FIA Formula One. And these twerps in ACM security jackets would come up. So you can't stand there. You can't stand there. And I said, yes, I can. I'm standing here. Did you not tell um, them who it's like you having were? A, it's like having a terrier on your trouser leg. You know, it's just like, go away. Leave us alone. You should have shown I'm your past. I'm Joe Blinken Sayward. Who the hell are you? No, I don't do that because there's nothing done. worse than people say, don't you know who I am? <laughs> um, I can't stand people like that. So I don't ever do that. It's just oh. sort of, go away. Leave me alone. <laughs> oh, well, you're too kind, um, Joe. But they are, they just need, they need to understand, you know, why... Some of these people are billionaires and they're telling them to get lost because they've got a shirt that says security and that makes them important. Yeah. You know, they're like traffic wardens of the worst kind. Sorry, no traffic wardens listening in today will like that, but tough. No, they deserve it. You're right. I, I try to be inclusive, but there's a limit. Simon's asking a question that I think he probably <laughs> knows the answer to. Has Joe ever had fisticuffs with security at a race? I'm sure yes. he has. <laughs> I have. It's in not uh, big or 1984, I punched a marshal in... Okay. Uh, in uh, La Chartre in France. Um, and it was just because he was completely unreasonable, stupid and wrong. And in the end, I just went, I'm not doing this anymore. And um, it worked. Yeah, that's what my parents told me. They didn't arrest me. me. Yeah. They, did, they didn't arrest me. Yeah. Uh, of course, I did run away afterwards. But um, <laughs> You punched you know, a marshal and ran away. Police. This story's getting like, you're not coming off well. No, I, I punched a marshal and I ran into the paddock so I could mm. do my work. That was what it, that, but the fact is, yes, I did run away after punching him. But, you know, you know, stand there, are you? Because otherwise you'll get beaten up by all the other marshals or something. I don't know. Well, that's the lesson, kids. If but it's only once. I only did it once. If you can't solve things with words... Resort to violence. That's the lesson we've I all was learned. Young, I was young then too. I've got a question for you from a, from a listener. And this, is, this follows on. We were having an interesting chat about the number of races with, with Sean Kelly, the stat man. He was, uh, he was here on the shed. He was the previous guest to you, Joe. And uh, he was talking about you know, the, the strain of the flights and how for the team bosses who hey. fly in business class, yeah. it's, a bit, it's easier for them. But you know, the, the strain of of the races on the staff members is is going to increase and then we hear oh, this is i'll just it read the question has increased yeah, yeah <laughs> I'll, I'll read the question from from mark here who says are the teams letting large numbers of the staff go due to the cost cap and i'm really just wondering how we juggle cost cap 
85 races a year. Like, what is the effect of the team members well, they're on the losing, ground? They're losing staff as well because staff don't want to do that anymore. Mm-hmm. People mm-hmm. don't want to do it. People want to have a life. So uh, they're, they're finding it difficult to replace staff, and staff tend to last shorter periods of time. The old people who are in it for life is a much smaller group now than before. Mm-hmm. So, um, And, yes, they've had to lose people in the cost cap, but not necessarily from those areas because um, – marketing and stuff like that uh, which is actually the easiest place to lose people probably um is not included in the cost cap so um it's only engineers and uh manufacturing people who get axed in the cost cap which is you know um to be quite honest the cost cap is a very strange thing the details that they agreed to um they don't seem to have any have included any kind of um serious uh, provision for what happens with massive inflation, which is why they're all whinging now. Yes, there is a course, there is a yeah. means by which they can change things, but it's not quick. So Horner it, was the one saying that they might seven teams might miss the last four races if they don't increase yes, the cost cap. That was Horner being that right. was Horner playing Hollywood. Okay, you know it was just <laughs> silly. They're not going to miss the last four races, are they? Because he wants to win the world championship, so he's going to find a way. He would fire the whole staff to win the world championship. You know, <laughs> yeah, Perez so would be first. <laughs> exactly. No, but he's not in the post cap, so he's all right, isn't he? Oh, okay. So, um, you know, the fact is that that it's just a bunch of tosh. Um, there are problems with inflation, which I'm happy to accept, but, you know, it, it's because it's badly formulated and the teams were part of the formulation of that. So they need to find a way of solving. They're making more money because the dollar is worth more, but the cost cap is not linked directly with the exchange rates. So there are kind of parallel economies going on. Um and one, they're struggling. On the other hand, they're making more money. So, you know, something's not quite right there. So they need to find the right solution to that. But Horner saying, you know, we can't do it because mm. it's awfully expensive. And and Wolf saying we'd have to drop some customer team because we can't afford to do this anymore. It doesn't make any sense. Um, is all part of the game. I mean, it may be that, that, that Toto wants to drop a team anyway. I can imagine that mm. he's not particularly happy with Aston Martin these days, you know. Yeah, they copied the wrong team. They copied Red Bull this year. I thought they had to copy Mercedes. I'm sorry, you can't possibly say they copied. I said, anybody. didn't I say allegedly? I'm sure I said allegedly. You didn't say allegedly. Steve, can we they, edit they allegedly? They had a look at it and miraculously came up, just looking at it, they came up with the same looking car. Good for them, I say. Hasn't made it any faster, though, has it? What's the point score? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's the flaw in the argument, isn't it? That it makes you inclined to. Well, you to get, give them a bit more time, but if they start doing too well, um, then there's going to be all hell will break loose because, you know, the last time when they copied the, uh, I mean, they have Allegedly. changed the rules since. Then. Oh no, no, they got. No, they didn't. It was that one was accepted right, as being okay. a copy. Uh, it was uh, it was allowed to under the terms of the rules at the time. Now it's not anymore. Um, there is no evidence to back it up as any sort of data changing hands, although. Horner says people downloaded things, some of his own people, but that's his problem, not their problem, because if someone downloaded stuff they weren't supposed to at Red Bull, Red Bull can take action against him, but they can't prove it was used elsewhere. Mm. And so, they could they could have just remembered things as well. But yeah, it's quite hard to remember uh, points, uh, you know, computer points that make a surface and this kind of stuff, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. All right. You can you you can you can sort of remember a vague shape, but a vague shape's not quite enough. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's sort of sort of wavy. Yeah, yeah it's not m- good enough. Millimeter here, millimeter yeah, there yeah. doesn't make much difference, does it? Apart from the fact the car doesn't work anymore. It's a good counterpoint there, Joe. But EJ in the in the live chat is just saying, you look, it's the same for everyone. Should the should the governing bodies just be like, well, look, you knew the rules at the beginning of the season. You knew there was a chance of of inflation. This is all information available to you, and the same for everyone. Yes, that's true. But mm. it's only the big teams whining about it because they're the ones who have to make the cuts. The others aren't making enough money to do it. So, um, you know, I think, uh, I, I don't know. I, I just think that if you if you agree to a rule, you should stick to it. Now, if there is, well, there is this parallel economy situation um, where they are making more money but can't spend it, that's obviously a bit difficult. But, you know, if you're having to fire people, as a result of the fact that the the uh, budget the rule, cap yeah. 
it means you, you can't make it to the end of the year. That's not quite right. But having said that, they won't fire him anyway, because any good people, they'll use the money outside the budget cap to, to put into other companies that will then soak up those people and then and come back later. Mm. Whatever. Well, not, I mean, the thing is that the budget cap is at the best of times fairly spongy in terms of policing it. It's very difficult with all these strange little stray companies everywhere. They can police it to a large extent. So anybody who cheats like hell is going to get caught. But people who are trying their best and, and fiddling mm. with things, you know, you, you're, you're on the ground, Joe. You, you, you speak to not only the Toto Wolves, but you speak to the, the Derricks in the paint shop and everything as well. How, how is morale amongst team members with these, you know, with people losing their jobs and more races and maybe people not getting to be at every race? How are they feeling? Well, as I said before, there are far fewer people who are doing it for life now. People mm. are doing it for three or four years and then moving on. It's for the experience, traveling the world, all the rest of this stuff, being in Formula One. But but it's tough. It's a tough life. And even I'm beginning to think, well, God, dear <laughs> me, if they go much more above this, first of all, it costs me a pile of money. And second of all, it's I'm not it's not fun. And if you have any kind of home life, and you know, believe me, it's complicated enough being in Formula One. You know, we all have trails of destruction behind us. Um, you know, after Miami, I I, I spent uh, another week in America seeing my son who lives in America. You know, so uh, you can't you can't just go on ignoring your family. So I have a, an American son, and I have European grandchildren, and I have a European wife, uh, and it's complicated fitting everything in along with all the races. So. Now, if you want to give up on your entire family and do that, that's one thing. But yeah, most okay, people cool. Don't. I'm in. Right, I'll, I'll swap. I'll swap in, Joe. I could do with a bit of a break, if I'm honest with you. <laughs> so, look, uh, well, yeah, uh, we don't want people losing their jobs. We don't want people uh, not enjoying their work. But if, as F1 grows, is it, and it's probably inevitable to some extent. It's the same in in a lot of sports. I don't think. I don't think it needs to grow as much as they want it to. What they want is the revenue to grow. Mm. And so what they need to do is they need to come up with a sensible figure. And 23 is, is about as far as they should go. I don't think they should go beyond that. I actually think they should probably go under that. But you just make more money out of it. You know, you do it better. And if you look at it this year, we're looking at we're, – we're, we're seeing crowds that are, are huge crowds at almost every event apart from ones that will never get a huge crowd. So um, – and that's – you know, they weed out the ones that can only – get certain sizes of crowds. So, for example, that's why Spa's in a bit of danger because they have a very small crowd capacity. Not that they can't, you know, they, they could cut down some more trees in Spa, not, not that that would help anybody over there because they'd be screaming green people running around saying you can't do this. But um, they would not be able to do much because there aren't enough roads there. So the access has been a long been a disaster. Um, and that's a big problem. Paul Ricard, they, they, they've, they've tried really hard in Paul Ricard to get fantastic traffic plans, and they seem to work pretty well. But again, the crowd capacity uh, can only go so high. So this is why city races with public transport are ultimately the way to go, because then it's, you don't have to get people in and out. You don't have traffic jams full of cars pumping out emissions all the time. You have you have public transportation, usually electrically powered, and mm. they just arrive by train, leave by train. Fantastic. I just you've got to find a way of making street circuits not terrible f to watch. That's yeah, but that, they're not all street circuits. Look, <sighs> look at look at Baku. That's not an awful circuit. Okay, we're we gonna have races. We're gonna have the back look and at, fight look at, if look there's at Montreal. a crash. That, Montreal, Montreal is on is is part of the transport network. Monte, Monte Carlo. Is, has got trains. I mean, you know, there's, it's just a matter of where it's located. Albert Park is incredibly efficient for bringing people in and out with public transport, okay? It's not the greatest races, but that's to do with track design. It's not to do with whether or not um, it's located in a park or on a street. I mean, you know, mm. parkland circuits are the answer because you can then build what you want. I don't want to pick a fight. You're right about Parkland, probably. I don't want to pick a fight about Baku. I don't think it's good racing. I think it's got the drag race, uh, which allows the cars to swap order. And if there's a safety car, if there's a crash, it can introduce some drama. If there's no safety car, I think the race bombs like all street circuits bomb. Yeah, but there are certain things that make, mean it'll always have safety cars. Isn't it? Isn't it? Aren't we 50-50? Baku without a safety car? I think, yes, I two. I think there's been remember. two. 
So I think we had five now. We had five Baku Grand Prix. I don't remember how many I, we've had. Okay, so I think it, it the first four had interlocking safety car, not safety car, and it and whether it was a good race or not is dependent on whether there's a safety car. I'm happy to be challenged on that. Feedback at mistapex.net. If you have uh, any any feedback on what we're talking about, if you think I'm wrong, or if you have a question for any of the panel, like Jack Reeves, who asks a good one here. Now, there's a series of questions here to really get us inside the heart of F1. Because I must admit, when there are words like FIA, FOM, thrown in with Liberty and names and Dominicali in between his goalkeeping stints, I do get very confused. So a lot of these questions... I want to ask you to just clarify some of this stuff for us. Jack Reeves asks, is Peter Bayer leaving the FIA linked to Abu Dhabi Dhabi, 2021, I presume, as is being implied in its reporting, or is it just a coincidence? I'm unaware of who Peter Bayer is, Joe, so you'll have to educate me on that first. Okay, Peter Bayer was the Secretary General of the International Automobile Federation, which sanctions the races and organises the rules and provides the officials, okay? Formula One does the commercial side and organises the race. That's Liberty, but doesn't the Americans. Sanction them. That's, right. that's Liberty owns Formula One group, yes. So Peter Bayer being the Secretary General, basically that means that you're in charge of the administration of the organisation. So, And then for some reason, which isn't entirely clear, at the end of his reign, Jean Todd decided that Peter Bayer should be put as charge as the F1 director, um, which was an odd decision because Peter Bayer is not an expert in Formula One, never has been, um, but, you know, is a good sports administrator. So the problem with that is that when you have somebody who comes in and then starts telling people who know about Formula One how it should be done, uh, it's not necessarily a good mix. Now, where Abu Dhabi came in all of that is hard to say, but I can say with some certainty that uh, Bayer and Michael Massey certainly butted heads um, right. on a number of issues. And then Peter Bayer was in charge of the investigation into Abu Dhabi, and basically the whole thing festered for so long uh, right through the wintertime um, that by the time it was... Uh, ready to be settled. I think the relationship between the two had got to a point at which it wasn't possible to continue. Now, was it the right decision? I'm not sure it was. Lots of people in Formula One are not sure it was because we have new race directors and they're causing all kinds of other interesting disputes about jewellery and underwear, which (laughs) nobody really needs right now. (laughs) I understand that they want to impose their will and, and show that they are, you know, that they have some sort of power, but it really isn't necessary. And I think that's why we've seen uh, Mohammed bin Sulaim, the president of the FIA, kicking that issue like a can in front of him down the road. He keeps kicking it forward a few months mm. just to get rid of it because it's a it's a totally stupid thing to be filling the headlines with. Um, you know, there are there are points at which, yes, it's it's entirely correct that it's wiser not to wear jewelry and and to wear fireproof underwear, but um, it's not an essential element as it hasn't been for the last 15 odd years. Um, so why suddenly is it necessary to, to do that? And I think uh, we just need to have some sensible um, sensible uh, administration of Formula One. And I think what's happened is that the new management has come in at the FIA after the election in December. And this is one of the problems with the Abu Dhabi, Abu Dhabi thing. Everything happened at the same time. You had the Abu Dhabi race, then you had the FIA election less than a week later. And then you had a new administration not really knowing what they were doing and not really knowing, uh, you know, not really necessarily wanting the people who were there. And they have to, you have to go through the process of sort of weeding out people you want uh, to get the structure you want and so we're, we're seeing that process happen and, right. and believe me peter bayer will not be the last person at the fia to be leaving oh. there will be others left over from the todd regime who don't fit name several of them people no i'm not going to name oh. names but you know there Just are people who are going to be moving on now because they don't fit <laughs> okay they don't fit because Jean Todd had a sort of French bureaucratic view of organisations, which he's got far too many, I think, my opinion, far too many levels of management, all doing lots of different things. But in fact, nobody was doing much because John was such a micromanager that he was he was making all the decisions and leaving everyone else to do the implementation. So 
you know, and the new lot coming and saying, we want to do it differently to that. We mm. don't want everything centralized. Uh, the power of the president shouldn't, you know, there shouldn't be a pile of questions. I mean, I, I, I visited Jean's office a few times and it was always very impressive because there were piles on his desk of, of folders, one pile for each championship. And, you know, literally he knew everything that was happening everywhere. And I don't think that's necessarily healthy. I mean, yes, he should know what's going on, but he shouldn't be making decisions about every single about thing. About like carting, so perhaps, I think, yeah. Well, he, he, yeah. Was a, he was a micromanager and always has been throughout his career. That's why he's been successful to some extent. Um, so I think what the new people want is to, is to have much more of a sort of modern uh, mm. business kind of structure without having too many layers because the French do love their bureaucracy. You know, they like to have lots of people. Okay, casual racism, but whatever, Joe. You know, bonjour no, to any of racism. our French it's, it's listeners. It's a basic reality. <laughs> you know, it, it's a basic reality of of the governance in this country. It, there are just are loads and loads and loads. Well, have a look at the percentage yeah. if you want to. If you want numbers, the percentage of bureaucrats in France compared to the percentage, or sorry, government employees compared to the percentage of bureaucrats elsewhere. It's dramatic. Can, can I just say, if this sounds like an anti-French tirade, Joe has a French wife and lives in France and presumably loves the no, country No, no, I'm, I'm not. It's not an anti-French okay, tirade. Okay, okay, it, okay. It's a, I'm just telling you the reality of it all. I'm not saying necessarily that it, I'm not saying it's a good thing because it's not, but, <laughs> but it does mean it, it sure. makes life complicated. So, uh, Joe. Change things. Rachel's got a good follow-up <laughs> question to this. Uh, which is something that's actually confused me as well. Her question is, is it actually possible for F1, brackets Liberty, so Rachel's ahead of the game here. So hang on, so that's not FOM, that's FOM, is that right? Yes, it is. So, so is, yes. is it possible for Liberty, which is FOM, and the FIA, which is uh, uh, the FIA, to part ways? So just get on with it, get on with it. I'm trying to understand <laughs> as I... No, no, but the thing is, you're trying to understand something, but there, in fact, FOM... Uh, actually isn't called FOM anymore. Oh. It's just people call it that. Right. You know, so it's called Formula One. Okay. So is it possible um, for Liberty well, and the FIA to part ways? And why have the FIA no, got any not. power at all? Well, they do have power up to a point. They are they are the people who issue the right to have a world championship. And we've been through this 40 years ago. In 1980, Bernie Eccleston and Max Mosley tried to set up an alternative championship and were beaten instantly. Because who issues the licenses with all these things? Licensing, all there, and who owns the rights to the world championship? The FIA does. So they have to learn to work together and be grown-ups. And that's basically what it takes. Uh, and you know, the idea that they can go their separate way is just silly. Because you can't have a world championship. You can have GP1. It's a bit. It, it, why would you rebrand when you have a strong seventy-five-year-old brand? Why the hell would you call it something new? Okay, so Liberty doesn't fully own Formula One as a sport. It can't do with it as it wishes because some ownership yes, it can. Right. Yes, it can. It it it, it is leased it for a hundred years. Oh, okay. The commercial control of Formula One has been leased by Liberty for a hundred years, and the FIA will take it back in twenty-one ten. I think it is. Um, okay. In theory, right? Uh, but but the FIA took a pile of money for doing that, and they make a pile of money every year from Formula One. It is their biggest source of revenue, so it's in their interest to make sure that Formula One works properly as well. Now, the problem we have at the moment is we're going through a period of turbulence caused by an FIA election. And some of the people are getting frustrated because the FIA is not a fast-moving organization. It's difficult to change things overnight. That's all. I think in time, so long as they don't do too many stupid things, um, the FIA will be fine again. Okay, so in now, a different way to before. Now we know who the FIA and 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 F1 and Liberty are. Michael Holler's question should make sense, and I will just read it, just flat out, Joe, without trying to understand it. Don't want to be hurried along again. Uh, Michael says, "I heard that Formula One." Liberty was unhappy with race direction and is looking to shuffle the FIA into an ever more ceremonial role. Apparently, Checkered Flag reported this story as well. Is there any truth to that? Is that realistic? Can they be shuffled away? Who's Checkered Flag? Oh, is there the BBC um, effort? Qu- a quite a good podcast as well. Second, maybe okay. even number two. <clears throat> Who's on it? Jack Nichols, Jolian Palmer, and led by Jenny Gow and Andrew Benson. Oh. Mm-hmm. So it's quite okay. heavyweights. They had me on there once as well. They haven't repeated that mistake, Joe. Mm-hmm. 
Um, in answer to that, yes, they probably would like to do that a little bit more, but they can't because the FIA has, you know, there's clear there's clear guidelines as to what each party does, and they're laid down in the agreements that exist. You can't just walk over the top of these agreements. Now, you can say to them, well, you're not getting any more money. And there's a negotiation, I'm sure, coming up at some point soon as to how they divide money up again um, because they have a separate agreement commercially. Um, but the FIA has been trying over the years to build up revenues from other championships so that they're not quite as dependent on Formula One, which would make them more independent. But having said that also, I don't think that that, that a sport is healthy if it's wholly controlled by uh, commercial people. You have to have some people, I think, wiser to have some people to to act as a, you know, balance to make sure that the sport doesn't disappear completely into a ridiculous um, commercial enterprise. That it doesn't so, become WWE. Well, that's, yeah. I mean, that, that's one of the things. You need to have credibility and you need to have um, structure. And it, we're just going through a transition period, but I don't believe that anyone is stupid enough to try and go on their own um, with a new championship, with new, you know, trying to call it something different. It just doesn't make any sense. Hey. And their share price would go through the floor if they did that too. Hey, do you want to meet Uncle Joe in person? Well, here's how. Joe's home address is the Chateau, (laughs) uh, Provence, uh, no, uh, you do live audiences and they are fully back up and running. There's a, there's a couple coming up. Where can we see you, Joe? Well, I'm uh, going to be in Montreal on Friday. Um, Friday evening, after the sessions are done, I'm in downtown Montreal. You can read about it on my blog, uh, which is Joe Blogs F1. Nice. With one G, obviously. Um, and there will be one in London. On the Wednesday before the British Grand Prix, I'm afraid I can't do the Friday because Silverstone's out in the middle of nowhere. And um, so I can't actually uh, do it and then get there uh, with enough time with all the things I have to do. So there are two coming up, um, but the Joe Blogs F1 and Joe Sayward Twitter, obviously, they're the two ways of keeping in, in touch with when things are happening. So if you go and have a look there, you'll find the details um, and you can come and ask me loads of questions in person. They are good. And drink alcohol too. It's good. They, no, they are good. good. Do you put on your spread? You used to put on quite a good spread in the old uh it depends on the particular venue, mm. but in Canada, yes, I'm I'm providing some food. Well if you still I think also I am in London as well. You yes, said it's in no, the middle of nowhere. There is Northampton, you know. It's not all, completely yeah. awful. <laughs> it does exist and have facilities. I've tried I Silverstone, I've tried I've tried various venues okay. around the circuit. <laughs> and nothing works. Okay, so, so Wednesday um, in London. And and I wasn't allowed in to do the circuit um, inside the circuit uh, because obviously that would involve paying the Formula One group money mm. to have a venue, have an event going on. Um, you know, they're, they're, they're only interested in, in uh, engaging with fans to a limited extent as long as it makes them money. So um, having me there engaging with fans wouldn't make them any money unless I gave them all the money I made. So what's the point? And uh, top tip, if you do attend any live audiences with Joe, I would say ask very sensible questions until the first bottle's gone. And then that's the time to strike. And Joe will tell you anything about his decades within Formula One. It really is well worthwhile, if not just from from hearing Joe's stories, but also just being uh, with a group of F1 fans as well. I think I've been to two and uh, and had a very good time at them. And, uh, and we could always, now your internet hasn't been knocked out of orbit. If you ever want to hook up some virtual audiences, Joe, uh, we can do those again if you want. Yeah, I'm all for that because I can't be everywhere all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yes, I think having virtual audiences is a good idea. Because mm-hmm. people say to me, come and do one in New York. Where am I going to fit it in, you know, yeah. with all these other things no. I have in my trail of destruction? We'll do it on the internet. Check the show notes below to find out all the stuff where Joe is at and how to go to his thing. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping 
and 365-day returns. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Some more questions for you, Joe, if you're up for it. We've mm-hmm. got uh, EJ has asked you a question, and it's about Mick Schumacher. We are, well, I think, right, it's basically because it's a Danish name in our Slack community, and I've tried to say it a lot of times, and he's basically told me to stop trying. But I'll try again. It's Injvind. Yep. Nailed it. Okay. What about Mick? Are Ferrari still backing him, says Injvind? Is he costing Haas too much money? Who will take his seat at Haas, if so? And have other teams offered him a seat? Rumour says Aston Martin may have offered him a seat. Not going too well for Mick at the moment, is it? Okay, so there's about 27 questions in, yes. that, in that little intro. Answer all of them, um, please, Joe. I will answer all of them. Is Ferrari still interested in Mick? Yes, yeah. if he goes faster and produces more results. If he doesn't, no, they're not. Because obviously having a Schumacher name but not producing the goods isn't any good. Um, is he going to stay at Haas? Is he costing them money? Yes, he's costing him money. Uh, <clears throat> I think I think he's he's a little bit in shock that when Kevin arrived, Kevin was just yeah. instantly faster. And we've seen a number of crashes, which is Mick trying to drive faster than he's able to do. Um, and he has to figure out whether he can calm it down a bit and drive as fast as Kevin or go somewhere else. Now, the question is, does anybody really want him? And I think that the reason that um, Aston Martin came up uh, being mentioned was the fact that you know if you're running Aston Martin and your name's Lawrence Stroll and you want your son to do well, you don't want a driver who's going to beat him too no. often. So you want a sort of you know old world champion who's not going as fast as he used to, wounded deer, um, who, who falls off a lot. So Vettel's been perfect actually up to now. You don't want Alonso because he'll make Lance look hopeless. Um, and so you're looking for a driver who's not quite fast enough. And in that respect, you could argue that Mick fits in quite nicely there. Also, obviously, lots of Aston Martins are sold in Germany, or at least actually lots of Aston Martins aren't really sold anywhere at the moment because they're not doing awfully well. But um, uh, but they've denied all that anyway. So what they really need is, is two world-class drivers to try and drive the whole thing forward <laughs> and uh, to inspire the workforce. And if they don't do that, then the whole thing will fall apart. Even if they have a nice factory, shiny factory, and all the money in the world, um, the whole thing will fall apart if you don't hold that team together. Isn't that just demoralising for the Aston Martin guys? They've already got the guy who fits Lance Stroll's wing mirrors, who's just close to quitting because he doesn't understand the point of him being there. And then you bring in a second driver with a, a similar reputation. Surely that's no way to go racing. Uh, hey, listen, if billionaires want to spend their money doing that, it's up to them, isn't it? But is it how I do it? No, it's not. It, it's it's very different idea. But I honestly think Lawrence Stroll believes his son is world championship material. And how can we change that view? You know, I think until Lance says to his dad, I don't want to do this anymore, dad. Um, it, it's probably, you know, he's quick on occasion, but he doesn't have all the other elements. And one of the elements that's lacking, I think, is hunger. Because hunger is something, when you're a billionaire's kid, you don't need hunger because you've got all the money in the world forever. And, you know, so, well, unless your dad's going to burn it all in car companies and racing teams. Um, but I, I just think that if you're going to be uh, a team owner, to be the far, to be a racing dad as well, it's a very bad combination. And it, it is not healthy for racing teams um, to, to be in that situation because people just go, why are we doing this? Um, and we'll see how it goes. But, you know, the other thing about billionaires is you can't tell them anything because they, they've made enough They're money yeah. um, and they think they know all the answers to everything. It's the same with car companies, to be honest. You know, they always think they, they know how to do it. And that's why you end up with disasters like Toyota 
in Formula One or or before then there was British American racing, equal disaster, even Honda when they had their own team, you know, they handed all over to Ross Braun and next thing you know, they've won the world championship. So, you know, you need to have, racing is all about teams. It's all about people. It's not necessarily about factories, machines and money. You can have all the money in the world and still mess it up. And I'm not like besmirching the, the staff at Aston Martin. I'm sure they will find motivation where, where it um, where it lands. But, you know, people were having the same conversation about Williams when you had Stroll and Sorokin. It, it surely must feel better when you have two real charges in your car. Well, it's very, just, just related to real life, okay? It's five o'clock on a Sunday morning and work rings up and says they need you in there. Mm. And you think, Stroll and Sorokin, yeah. Mm. And you roll over and go back to sleep again, don't you? If if you if you come in and say Oscar Piastri and and uh, Kobayashi, know, Esteban, yeah. Esteban Ocon, whatever, <laughs> yeah, yes, and of you go, yeah, yeah, okay, I'm up for that. You know, that's yeah. that's the difference. That's mm. the difference. And it's basically people who just they want to go racing, they want to win, and they want somebody who they believe is going to win and appreciate what they're doing. And now. The people at uh, you've got to. Be, <laughs> the other thing about Aston Martin is it's staffed by people who have lived through Eddie Jordan, um, a strange Russian bloke whose yeah. name I've forgotten. Yeah, the Force India. A bunch yeah. of a bun- No, 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 no. By oh. uh, whatever it was called. What was it called? Um, Racing ah, Point. Entirely. Racing Point. No, no, no. Before oh, we're going then. in order. We're going in order. Yeah, I didn't yeah, know yeah. That. Sorry. Uh, it was called Jordan, Jordan Grand Prix, followed by Midland. That's the one. Midland mm. F1, followed by Spiker, followed by, and they were all fairly hopeless. Um, followed by Force India, and then followed by Racing Point. Now followed by Aston Martin. That's all the same team. So, but they've lived through a bunch of crazy owners already. So they kind of think, well, we'll just go on doing our thing, and the crazy owner yeah, can't yeah, yeah. mess it up. Yeah. But. You know, crazy owners can mess it up if they change too much. And, you know, I think losing Otmar was a fairly major disaster for them. I'm not saying he holds the whole thing together, but there are a bunch of people in there who hold the whole thing together. And if they start leaving, oi, 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 because Mm. you won't have that hardcore anymore. Speaking of people leaving, we've got a rumours question here from Jasper, and he asks, can Uncle Joe speculate on when Vettel's exit will be announced and any speculation for his replacements. Well, they've already mentioned uh, Mick Schumacher. You're assuming that Vettel will leave. Jasper is assuming. Vettel is is right now the perfect person for that second seat or the first seat at Aston Martin, depending which way you look at it. Because occasionally Mm. he can still do it, but, you know, occasionally he can't. Do, Do you speak to Vettel often? Do you get to grab him? Does he seem the same? No, I don't. I don't. I, to be honest, the drivers are now so sort of protected that one doesn't ah. spend an awful lot of time chatting with them. I tend to spend my time chatting to people in the background who know what's going on, um, and I don't have to queue up or fight for their, you know. And the other thing is, mm. trying to get to talk to a driver without anybody else being there um, is very dif- difficult. So there are some drivers. I talk to a lot of the young guys, mm. and uh, you know, over time, you talk to them all at some point or other. But they're not the focus of what I'm doing. Vettel is, um, he still seems to to be happy enough doing what he's doing. He he's he's you know, he's showing the signs of a sort of middle aged racing driver, which is um, he is he's talking more about safety and and other things. Um, you know, he's wearing rainbow coloured socks and and things that young drivers don't do, um, and. And because they only care about one thing, which yeah. is winning world championships oh, and yeah. winning races. Yeah. That's what I was thinking. So, too. you know, they yeah. don't they don't worry about the sort of um, big boy trousers. Stuff. They just want to go racing. Yeah. And, Vettel's definitely um, got big dad energy, hasn't he? Yeah, he's he's just he's clearly coming to the end of his career. Now, when it ends, uh, may be up to him, may not be up to him. Um, but he's still got pace every so often you see it. But then again, he makes mistakes just as he did at Ferrari. So, you know, there's a point to which you say, well, where, how does it all balance up? Oh, well, look, we're so losing, I'm not, you know, yeah. I'm not, I'm not against him on, on a good day. Vettel's fantastic, but there are fewer good days nowadays. 
And there does seem to be. And Ray's question follows on. It's almost like, honestly, I used to put a lot of effort into these shows, Joe, but our listeners ask such good questions now, and they seem to order them perfectly to structure them for a show. Uh, Ray is asking about your relationship with, with Toto Wolf. And Ray says, Joe and Toto seem to have a decent working relationship. What is the feeling that Joe gets from Mercedes? Are they all hands on deck, worried that they can't fix the issue with this year's car? Or does Toto seem a bit relaxed knowing that they have a fix and, and it will be sorted fairly soon? <laughs> Relaxed is not the word for Toto at the moment. Um, uh, Just to give you an idea, um, I mean, he's been pretty stressed all year. But at one point, uh, I I snuck up behind him on the grid and whispered in his ear, don't worry, I still love you, Toto. (laughs) And he turned around and he said, that makes all the difference to me. He was taking the piss as well. But, you know, it it was just, uh, he's he's under pressure. Mm -hmm. So, and he wants, the thing is, He's not under that much pressure because he owns part of the team and it's, it's a wealthy team and all the rest of it, but they're not winning. And that's what they like doing. They like winning. And, you know, if they're not winning, things start going wrong. And so he's desperately trying to put them back onto a winning place. And they're, they're kind of getting there, but they're not there yet. And I have a feeling they won't get there wholly this year. I mean, they're actually, if you look at the Manufacturers' Championship, which is the one that matters, the Constructors' Championship, sorry, um, they're not doing too badly in that, given that their car is not very good. Uh, they're the only constructor with no DNFs, I think. Uh, probably, mm. yeah. I can't remember exactly. But yeah, I mean, they, they, they've been collecting points quietly with an uncompetitive car, which is good, you know, which is what you need when you're fighting championships. But will they get that car to a point at which it can outright challenge the other big teams all the time? That's another question. And I think that will be very difficult to do because they've started so far behind. And you can't just spend your way out of trouble, which used to be the way to do it. You know, you have to spend the right stuff on the right mm. things. So, you know, and, and you see it elsewhere up and down the, the the grid. You see some weekends McLaren are really good. Some weekends Alpine are really good. Uh, some weekends Alfa Tori are really good. Haas. I mean, they're all in and out. So, you know, they've got to get through that middle group and they've got to get clear of that and they've got to go after red bull and ferrari and i think that's going to be really hard but i think their strategy is right which is just keep scoring just keep scoring and if we can get it together we'll still be in the game and at the end of the day you know if they're still third at the end of the year it's not a total disaster if they were ninth that would be a total disaster joe did you just drop a film reference into mist apex that's your first one that was a finding Nemo. You just keep scoring, just keep scoring. Oh well, it's an accidental one then. That that's from from finding Absolutely. Nemo. I, it's completely accidental. As I've certainly never seen a film about cartoon characters underwater. Although I'd quite like to see a lot of them that way. Yeah. Okay. Well, I've, I've lost track of the conversation, but there is a second part to Jasper's question that I missed earlier, relating to Mercedes, the mirror. Oh, now, quality newspaper, The Mirror, I do think parts of it are a quality newspaper, but for whatever reason, the sport section in The Mirror, particularly the F1 reporting, is oddly anti-Hamilton. So I'm not surprised that Jasper's quoting this, mentioned that Gasly is going to replace Hamilton. Can you confirm, Joe? Absolutely can confirm. That's total 100%. Am I allowed to use the word? Oh, no, never mind. Um, if you have to ask, not Joe. very likely. He's okay. got a Red Bull contract. Why would they let him out of a Red Bull contract to join the opposition? Duh. Guilt? Because now, no, now Perez has got an eight-year contract. Silly. There's no such thing as guilt. Red Bull guilt. Come on, do me a ah, favour. Okay. So that's it is weird. The mirror does seem to say an awful lot of things. There's about a number Hamilton. of newspapers yeah. that go after Lewis because uh, England has this, uh, as do some other countries too. To be fair, there's a thing called the tall poppy syndrome, where you have a hero and you just chop them down because it's fun to do. Uh, you don't appreciate the hero to the level at which you perhaps should do. So, you know, if you if you go to Holland and say bad things about Max Verstappen, you'll probably be bludgeoned to death with caravan um, jacks. And with, stuff, with, with you know. Attacked with windmill rudders. <laughs> yeah. And, and bicycle pumps as well. Um, but, you know, the, the fact of the matter is that they're proud of their, their, mm. their world champion. They're very proud of him. And they don't want people coming along and, and cutting him down because that's what you do. Yeah, look what we did to we look what we did to, to you know, David Beckham as well. That's another classic example as well. Um, but the dynamic there, they almost seem a little bit awkward and embarrassed that Russell 
has been, yes, through some luck, but also just by being consistent and plugging away, has beaten Hamilton in six out of seven races on track. And there's almost sort of a bit of an, an awkwardness around that when you ask Toto Wolf, because I don't, I don't think that was the plan. I don't think it's the plan. But then again, certain cars suit certain kinds of drivers as well. You've got to take that into account. Um, and that's true. Uh, look at Daniel Ricciardo at McLaren. He's, he's completely struggling. Um, with that kind of car, and Lando Norris is making him look silly. Now, what's going on there? Well, we do is have. There, yeah. Has Daniel Ricciardo forgotten how to drive, or is Lando Norris just better? Yeah, which or one is of- the car something that one suits the other one? You know, one more than the other. Joe, I meant to ask the questions. You tell me which one of those things it is. But there's been loads of people that have asked about um, Daniel Ricciardo, especially. I think it's followed on from the the Zach Brown interview that I think he gave on the Sky YouTube channel. Um, just being very brutally honest that they were disappointed. And it's um, Winter who's asked this question. How does Joe feel about Zach at the helm of McLaren in general, given he didn't, given he didn't seem particularly enthused about his appointment initially? And then my follow-on would be about those comments about Daniel Ricciardo, about his own sitting driver. Uh, I think that Zach's... Um, he's learned to take a bit of a step back from what he was doing originally. And he's got Andreas in there running the racing team. Right, yeah. Um, and Zach's got a bigger picture. I mean, you'll see Zach leaving at strange times in, during a race weekend, and you think, oh, of course, he's not actually running the racing team anymore. He's running the company. So, And he's diversified into all these other things. Now, is it all going to work? I don't know. Um, you know, the, he's he's because he's got so many racing teams, it's easier to raise money because you can cross-pollinate all these sponsors and this kind of stuff. But Zach, that's his, his ability has always been to, to, to talk lots of um, commercial stuff and bring in money. So uh, we have to see how it all works out in the end. Now, if he's negative about Daniel, to be honest, I understand that because Daniel has been disappointing. But the question is not, Daniel being disappointing. The question is, why is Daniel being disappointing? And that's what they have to decide upon. And then they have to decide whether, because of that, whatever the conclusion they reach, is it better to have somebody else? Zach might say, well, we want Colton Herter because Colton Herter is American and that means we can get more money in, which is entirely true. The question is, is Colton Herter good enough, committed enough, all the things you have to be in Formula One? Because IndyCar drivers don't have the same lifestyle at all as Formula One. It's very much harder, I think. Um, and you, you hear that when people go off to America. They, they, they talk about it being different. It's not as much pressure. It's a lot more fun. It's more you know, being in a team and not, not being stressed by anybody, fewer media, the whole thing. So um, we have to see if Herta can step up. Um, and he's going through a testing program, which will begin fairly soon, I think. Oh, right. He'll be, he'll be testing seven or eight times in the next few months, just as Piastri is doing at the moment with Alpine. Um, there's a test program going on for him as well. So, And we'll see how it goes. Um, but, you know, Daniel, I think, has a contract for next year. Now, there may well be performance clauses in it, but, you know, we'll see how it goes. But, um, you know, who was the last McLaren driver to win a race? Um. Oh, good question. Lewis Hamilton? No, Daniel Ricciardo. Oh, right. Oh, Monza. Yeah, I was thinking you had to go for a uh, nice trick question. You got me there. Monza. Yes. No, it's not a trick question. It's the truth. No, I forgot uh, okay, about that. Okay, Lando's looked look better mm. overall, but Daniel's still the last guy. Daniel's still a fantastic race driver, but he's not very good at qualifying. And that's been the problem, is that he's always starting further back. Um, and so he can't be the fantastic racer. That he that he's often been in the past, and to be fair, Daniel's always had a little bit of a weakness with qualifying speed, um, and obviously Lando's Lando's pretty good at both, to be honest. So it's it's a dream pairing really for Lando Norris at the moment. Like his stock could not be rising higher because Daniel Ricciardo is a likable, popular, well-rated driver, and if you're schooling him, you you look amazing. Well, that's true, apart from mm. the fact that he's not on the market. Lando, Lando's value stays exactly where it is oh, because just, he signed know, a contract in the long term. Just so. your just your standing in the in the eons of Formula I understand One. What, yeah. I understand what you're saying. Because look at yes, Schumacher. But... We were talking about Schumacher earlier. He looked like a legend last year. Everyone thought he was a rising young star. And then this year, people's opinions have just just flipped. Like hang your on, teammate. Hang on, hang on. 
Why did he look like a legend last year? Well, everyone just assumed that, yes, okay, Mazepin, not very good, but the potential, this hype, the legacy, because people love a name and a legacy, don't they? Um, it's, it's all living up to it. Look at him, you know, this is a steady start for him. Yeah, but how often does that actually happen? How often is the second generation driver as good as the first generation driver? Not often. It's happened. I can name two for a start. Although, to be fair, there'd be an argument over Damon, I'm sure. Uh, but I think you can say, I mean, Jacques won a world championship. His dad never did. Now, that doesn't mean he was a greater driver. Um, but, you know, Rosberg, he won a world championship too, as did his dad, who was a better driver. Rosberg? Interesting argument, isn't it? So, but in the 90s, what if I said to you, okay, we're going we're gonna to be in 2022, you're going to have Michael Schumacher's kid and Josh Verstappen's kid. It's Verstappen's kid's going to be the world champion. And the Schumacher kid is going to be at the back of the grid spinning off every five minutes. You would, you'd not have picked that. Uh, actually, I possibly would have done because I've always rated uh, Jos very highly. No, okay. Jos was Jos was really fast. He just didn't have the right set of circumstances, and he was in the wrong place at the wrong time, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But he was quick. All right. Well, the only memory when you say Jos Verstappen, I just think of that fireball picture. Oh, in his uh, what car it was he? It wasn't his fault. It wasn't his fault. He caught fire. It was a Benetton. Well, you know, he, he didn't <laughs> spill the fuel, did he? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Fine. I, I'll take away that blame from him. Uh, one last question to end on, Joe, uh, from Rob Asher, because it's about Red Bull. Is the Red Bull Junior program dying out? There seems to be a lack of strength and depth in their conveyor belt relative uh, to a few years ago, and then obviously signing the fantastic Perez after his epic Monaco victory on his path to the World Championship this season it seems to suggest that there's nowhere for young Red Bull drivers to go. That's always been the problem of every young driver program. Um, apart from in the days when there was so-called natural wastage where people disappeared and there was a constant flow of people coming up. Um, all racing programs go through periods when they have too many drivers yeah. um, in, a, in a sort of glut. And then they'll go through times when there aren't enough, which has happened to Red Bull before right now. They, they they cleared out a lot of the people they had sort of in the queue. They've got a couple of Formula 2 drivers. Actually, they've got quite a lot of Formula 2 drivers, but none of them are doing anything really spectacular. Uh, there's a couple of Formula 3 drivers who are vaguely interesting. Um, but, you know, we haven't seen another Max Verstappen coming yet. So, you know, and Mercedes, look at Mercedes. They, they've got Vesti in Formula 2. I mean, he's been, a, I would say, Yes, I think disaster is a pretty good oh, word. Okay. Um, you know, he's he's not about to step in. You know, and, and if Lewis retired tomorrow, they don't have a driver of that kind of caliber sitting there who might step in. They've got, I think, Nick De Vries might step in, but he's not quite Lewis Hamilton sort of stock, is he? Well, we don't we don't think he is anyway. But um, you know, every every young driver program has ups and downs. And there's a guy to watch out for whose, whose name is, uh, I can't remember his first name. It's Kimmy is one of his first names. Antonelli, who's mm. coming up in Formula 4, who looks really good. We'll have to see. He's a Mercedes driver. So, Okay. We'll watch we those. We will watch those with anticipation. Uh, thank you so much for your time, Joe. It's always a pleasure having you in the shed here. And make sure you go and check out the links below if you're interested in Joe's blog going and seeing Joe live, or we'll make sure that in the near future we'll hook up a, a, a virtual live audience with Joe now that your internet seems to be broadly working these days, Joe. And also go and follow Joe on Twitter, uh, at Joe Sayward. You've not riled up the F1 Twitter community for ooh, weeks now, so you're due. So make sure you follow to catch the next one. <laughs> <laughs> I do my best. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm trying to stay out of trouble at the moment. It's easier that way. Hi, well, yeah, you're not do you're not doing bad. You're not doing bad. I think a clean 2022 so far. But do go and follow Joe at Joe Saywood. Make sure you catch the next Green Notebook book blog, and make sure you're here on Sunday at 8 p.m. live for our Baku Grand Prix race review. But wherever we see you next, work hard, be kind, and have fun. This was Mistake Pex Podcast.
Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.